All right. Get us started. Welcome. <laughs> After, before I was so rudely interrupted, um, I was going to say welcome to the fire. We are kicking off another episode. We're excited to bring this to you guys. Um, I know based on uh, Justin's quick interruption there, he's excited to get into it. Into it. <laughs> Thomas, I'm sure you are as well. I am um, pumped. But once again, it's great to be joined by you guys. Um, yeah, this week we are looking at part two of the names of God. It was uh, originally a one-part podcast. We got into it last week into a lot of the names of the Old Testament, the names of God in the Old Testament, and it was just a, a great episode. We talked a, just a lot about it. Um, if you didn't listen to it, I think it's a great place to start before listening to this one. Um, but anyways, uh, there's just so much to talk about that we did not finish it, but we did come to a nice uh, stopping point at the end of the Old Testament. So this week we are looking at the names of Jesus and God in the New Testament. Uh, and we will refer back to the Old Testament a little bit as well. Um, so yeah, before we get started, I want to want to start off with a... Um, actually, I do want to say this, since we usually do this at the end of the episode. Um, we mention our social media and stuff. Um, so I'd like to switch things up and talk about it here for those who listen and may not make it to the end of our episodes, but, uh, we do have an Instagram page. It is at in the fire podcast. Um, that's the, that's the handle. And then we also have an email, which is three, the number three in the fire at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, that's please us. like, subscribe, and share, and share to our uh, to our platform, um, and follow us on social media. We'd love to hear your feedback, or if you have any recommendations or questions, um, please let us know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So without further ado, uh, I want to start by uh, um, reading off this quote I found from John Piper, um, just about the importance of knowing the names of God. Um, so Psalm 910 says, those who know thy name put their trust in thee. Uh, and so Piper goes on to say that the better we know the name of God, the more we will trust him. And the more we trust him, the more risk we will take for the sake of his glory. And the more risk we are willing to take for the sake of his glory, the more bold we will be in our witness, the less dependent we will be on material comforts, and the more readily we will volunteer for active duty on the frontiers. Um, so I think that's a a great way to get into the mindset of why we need to uh, learn about the names of God and study them and keep them close to us. Cause they uh, just knowing God and his name can uh, just energize us to, to be a witness uh, for Christ in our world. Yeah, that all sounds good. I mean, all those qualities, if we want to get, uh, improve ourselves in those areas, you know, bold, emboldening our witness and uh, being more dependent on God, then this seems like a pretty good way to get that ball rolling. <laughs> yes, I think so too, Jay. <laughs> All right. So the first passage I'm going to, or excerpt I'm going to look at doesn't specifically introduce a new name for God or Jesus. But it is the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Um, I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. Um, if you're not, go ahead and look up Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We're not going to read it here. But um, in the beginning, Jesus provides more instruction uh, to us on how to treat God's name. Um, and he says in the, in the beginning of the prayer that hallowed be thy name. So we are to treat God's name as hallowed or holy. Um, and so whenever we, we study like each of these names, just uh, I think we can do this, treat God's name as hallowed or holy by first believing in God and then having a great fear and respect for God and avoiding idolatry. Uh, ultimately, I think we want to just take his name seriously, um, realizing and ultimately realizing and better understanding the power and attributes of God 
which we discovered by looking at many of the names last week. Um, we looked at, you know, Quana, which gives us an understanding of how jealous God is of us due to his endless love for us. And then Yahweh, uh, uh, Mechodishkem, which is the God who can make us holy as we treat him as holy. Um, Mechodishkem refers to, you know, the God who sanctifies. And then there's other Yahweh plus um, connections where Yahweh is connected to. Like last week, we looked at, you know, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Uh, Je- Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, and Jehovah Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, all these other ones we mentioned last week. Uh, but anyways, they just give us a, a deep understanding of the power and attributes of God, which is, I think, part and parcel with uh, when we learn those of taking God's name seriously and treating God's name as holy, after all. And then, um, yeah, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer, after all, so another way we can treat God's name as hallowed or holy is to just be in prayer. Um, so yeah, so the Lord's Prayer doesn't specifically introduce a new name for God, but it does provide instruction on how we are to treat God's name. Um, so yeah, so now let's get into these specific names. Uh, the first one we have up here is the Son of Man. I don't know if any of you guys want to start off talking about this one. Yeah, so um, this is where we're going to transition a lot into names used specifically for Jesus. Um, a lot of these in the New Testament. Son of Man combines the Old and New Testament. Um, last week, we finished a little bit by looking at the name for God, Ancient of Days, which is used in Daniel 7. Um, and that's where this one comes into play. So let's go ahead and read that again. So um, Daniel 7 is a part of Daniel where Daniel is having these visions of kind of the um, end times and the return of Christ. Um, in Daniel seven thirteen, he is describing this return, and he says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him before him. Uh, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which should not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So that is a prophecy pointing to... Uh, Jesus ultimately coming and setting up his everlasting kingdom here um, for all of us. And this one's interesting because it does connect that Old and New Testament, um, and specifically the the words, the Son of Man. I think there's two things that make it very interesting to me. Um, First, it encompasses everything that Jesus is. We know he is a heavenly being, um, and... I mean, you read that passage right there. You also read out of Revelation where this phrase comes up, Son of Man, Ezekiel, where there's other, you know, end times prophecies. Um, So he's this heavenly being, but he's also fully human, Son of Man. He's on earth, and here he's given authority to reign over this world and the heavens um, upon his imminent return. Uh, But for me, the thing that's kind of more fascinating here is how Jesus uses the Son of Man. So if you flip to the New Testament, um, let's look at this in Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin, before he is crucified. Uh, And the question that really gets him, according to the Pharisees, according to the lawmakers at the time, they ask in Mark 14, 61 and 62, Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. If that sounds familiar, it's because we just read something very similar in Daniel. Um, And essentially, when Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, he is very, very clearly pulling up old scripture that these teachers of the law would have known referring to himself as the son of God, the son of man, the ultimate king, the Messiah. Um, And that's what got him crucified. So I think it's just a cool little uh, way to start this and look into how we, you know, how Jesus refers to himself and how we see Jesus referred to throughout the whole Bible. Mm -hmm. 
On a completely different note, <laughs> um, Son of Man is an excellent song from the Tarzan soundtrack. Hmm. Uh, it's the <laughs> montage where Tarzan grows up, and it's one of the better on there. So, fun fact. I, I, will, I will also note, maybe kind of on that note, that um, actually, no, this is for the next one, Son of God. So, but we can get to that, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Um, thanks for that plug, Thomas. Um, I'm interested to see where we take this. Uh, but yeah. I just want to, yeah, I just want to reiterate just how it's cool that, you know, there's what purpose these Old Testament verses serve in Jesus accomplishing his, his end goal, which is to die for our sins and then overcome our sins so that we could have uh, an opportunity at eternal life. And just the, the reference back to Daniel 7, like Justin, you mentioned the, the Pharisees would, they would know about that. Um, and that's ultimately what, what got him crucified. So you can see just the, the greater purpose uh, of all of it coming into picture. Yeah, and I mean, not only that, but also it, it shows that this was God's plan from the very beginning. Um, like in, when he gave Daniel the vision, he's, Daniel saw Jesus in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ju- it, on the judgment day, he saw the Son of God and the Son of Man in heaven reigning next to God, the father. And like when Jesus comes and he says, I am the son of man, he's also saying, I am the son of God. I am the one who is going to be ruling in the end times. And it's, it's really cool to see God's plan weave throughout the old and the new Testament. Right. Yeah. That theme will come up throughout this episode. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I, this picture just popped into my mind. So like say you're writing a book and or a journal or something and you get this just this fresh um fresh booklet with hundreds of just empty pages and you just start writing. Uh but you don't really know the next page, what what's gonna happen there. It's just I mean, everything else is unwritten, I guess. And I don't know, I just sort of like the Bible is not that where like the old testament just sort of happens like chronologically where um, whatever happens, happens next, and that's added into the Bible. No, it's like um, the rest of the Bible at this point in Daniel, like it wasn't unwritten. Like I just imagine God um, like thinking about his word and, and what the Bible is going to be like. He knows what the, what the final chapter, what the end's going to be. And so it all, it all ends up aligning uh, when, when you really read it and you get to the new Testament, you're like, Oh, there's a purpose for this being old Testament. Like it was, there was a purpose. It was ordained from the very beginning, which I think is yeah. a cool. Picture. Yeah. And on that note, there's a purpose to what Jesus says, you know, in Mark, Matt and other gospels, but be on his trial when he calls himself the son of man, there is a very specific reason he does. So it is because it is pointing back. It's what we see in data, what we see in, in prophecies. He is saying who he is. And if you read um, Jesus' trial, crucifixion, the entire time when he's being tried, when he almost says nothing, this is one of the things he says. Um, and actually, before, before I read that, the high priest asked him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? Like they're saying, will you respond to our questions? Because Jesus is just silent through his whole trial. The trial mm. is not fair. He's silent until he says I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. In. So that's it's what he chooses epic. to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, the one thing he says is, like, directly relating him to God. Yeah. And the person <laughs> of who he is. It's, it's a great mic drop moment. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, <laughs> Jesus is a man who uses his words, each word, you know, very intentionally, um, slow to speak. Uh, but yeah, he uses his words somewhat sparingly, but when he has something to say, it's with mm-hmm. clear intention. intention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, should we uh, add on the Son of God to this? I don't see why not. <laughs> I'm a man, then you have Son of God. 
I mean, Son of God is pretty self-explanatory. It is. Um, <laughs> being that he is the Son of God, right? <laughs> um, first used in Luke one thirty-five. Um, I guess it's in Mark 2. In Luke, it's first used in 35, which is when the angel is talking to Mary, and Gabriel, I believe. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, son, the Son of God. Um, which is like, when, like, imagine being in Mary's place there, um, and, you're, and this angel appears to you and says, yeah, you're going to give birth to God. <laughs> That's kind of like a scary thing, you know? And let's see, Luke 4.41 is also this again. Um, this is when Jesus is healing many people. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not let them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Um, and that's just, that's a different instance of like using the son of God, but also referring to the same thing because like Jesus is the son of God. And obviously like he is the Messiah and the Christ and the son of man as well. Um, but he's not letting the demons say say so because he doesn't. I don't know why actually. We we don't ever get any reason why he doesn't let the demons speak. But it shows that even the demons know he's the son of God, and even the demons know he has power over them, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, my my only last note to add to right. this is the, the Tarzan thing reminded me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there are other um, people. Uh, groups of people who are called the son of God. Adam is called the son of God. Israel kind of in general is called the son of God and, and kind of all of us are referred to as children of God. Um, but this is son of God in a much different sense, obviously <laughs> a much more uh, eternal and holy sense. Yeah. And it, it both of these names speak to the, the very nature of Jesus as well. Yeah. Being fully man and fully God. He's both the son of man and he and the son of God, um, which is why he's able to be sacrificed for our sins. Right? He's the only perfect man. Yeah. One of my another one of the interesting um, names of Jesus that is used in the New Testament is just simply advocate. Uh, and I think. Jesus's role as 100% man and 100% God, the son of man and son of God, um, corresponds with the advocate part because he can intercede on our behalf and our sinfulness to provide salvation for us so that we can re be reconnected with God. And he can do that by coming down to earth, being man, but also having that connection of God, being the son of God um, as well. And so I think like the, the name advocate um it's a good way of, it's just like a simple uh, theological term there that sort of establishes just in simple terms, um, sort of the theology and role that Jesus plays. And he can do that through being the son of man and the son of God. Good point. Yeah. All right. So the next one we have on the list is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. <laughs> He heard in plenty of songs. <laughs> um, yes, especially at Christmas time. I'm sure you. And there Michael is a Smith song. <laughs> yes, yes, there is a reason it's sung a lot at Christmas time because this is what we hear, um, in the Lord talking to uh, Mary and actually to Joseph. Here, I have it in Matthew one. Uh, 23, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Um, I mean, kind of straightforward there, but that actually what I just read is um, a quote from a prophecy in Isaiah. So we're looking back to the Old Testament again that uh, we'll think refers 
in the law, I mean, it refers in the long term to Jesus. It can also refer to other things based on the context that it comes up in Isaiah. But we're going to focus on the Jesus part right here, or else we'll get too in the weeds with um, prophecies in Isaiah, which will take all day. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but essentially, I mean, you have it right there, translated God with us um, as a sign to the world that God has come into the world. Agreed. A quick note on like prophecies in the Bible. Um, they're very, very hard to figure out. Yes. Well, one, because they're about the future, mm-hmm. but two, because a lot of the prophecies throughout the Old Testament and even in Revelation too uh, are, and in Hebrews, I think, um, they're like telescopic in a way that like you see the whole prophecy but it's talking about different times. Mm -hmm. So like the beginning of the prophecy could be talking about something that's super far in the future. And the middle of the prophecy could be talking about something that's going to happen in the next 10 years. And then the end is back in the future again. Um, And it's very hard to decipher like what's happening. Right. So, so which is why we have like a passage in Isaiah relating both to the people, the times in Isaiah and to the Christ. Yes. Of Jesus. Happens a lot in Isaiah. (laughs) (laughs) One could yeah. say it's the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> my um, yeah. Well, my my Bible study leader brought up a great point about Isaiah and like all the Old Testament prophecies that have to do with the kingdom of Israel. Is that they don't really have a um, conception of a savior, like when they're being told these things by God, um, they don't really understand like the concept of like Jesus saving them, but they can understand like in their present times that prophecy fulfills to them or applies to them through uh, God delivering them out of uh, slavery and oppression from these other nations and making them a kingdom of Israel. So that's like the implication of the prophecy for them. And then when Jesus comes in and uh, sort of fulfills the prophecy and then um, becomes a savior of not just the king, kingdom of Israel, but for all, like the entire entire community and believers of Christ, that is sort of uh, how we can see the prophecy apply to our lives now in a way that it didn't really apply to the, the Israelites when they were uh, like before Christ. Yeah. In the say. words of Qui-Gon Jinn, there is always a bigger fish. Uh, Jesus <laughs> is that bigger fish. <laughs> He's the biggest fish. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well said. The wise Qui-Gon. I love Qui-Gon. All right. Should we move on? Yeah. Speaking of big fishes, this next one is uh, as big as it (laughs) is. Yes. The Alpha and the Omega. (laughs) Which um, is um, the beginning and the end. Um, so yes, this is about as big a fish as you can get, I guess. <laughs> um, so I think, to me, in my opinion, this harkens back to Yahweh uh, when God defined His name, defined Himself as "I am who I am." Um, so in essence, God is God alone. No one created Him. He doesn't have an origin, and He is not the descendant from another. He is the absolute Alpha, the first. Um, and then you also have the Omega, which is the last. He is before, above, and beyond anything on earth. And that is the definition of like ultimate eternity. Like no beginning, no end. He is the Alpha. Like he is the beginning and the end. Um, and so in the New Testament, we see the Alpha and Omega come up in Revelation at the end of times. Uh, so quickly, I'll read verses or chapter 21, verses 6 through 8. Uh, And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And this provides just tremendous hope for believers in understanding and and knowing that Jesus is the beginning and, and the Alpha and the Omega, because as the Omega, he provides the end, the ultimate end that we seek, which is the fountain of the water of life or eternal life, in essence. Um, 
And that's what we look forward to. And that's all we need because God offers that end as the beginning and the end. Uh, on the flip side, um, it also does mean that for non-believers, when it means when God says that He is the He provides the end, um, you know, He is a God of justice, and since He is the beginning and the end, everyone answers to God in the end and faces ultimate final judgment. And so, the, those non-believers, that also means um, a, a not ideal end uh, for them. And um, yeah, so that's. That's what I wanted to mention about Alpha and Omega. Do you guys have any other thoughts? I mean, it's a very all-encompassing term. I had another another two verses in Revelation that it's mentioned because it's what, you know, in John's vision here, it's essentially what Jesus says several times, that I am the Alpha and Omega. My Bible just notes, um, it exp- I, can, I mean, it applies to both the Father and the Son and expresses God's fullness, comprehensiveness, and all-inclusiveness. He is the source of all things and will bring all things to their appointed end. Uh, so everything you could ever imagine on this earth, outside of this earth, has a beginning and an end, and all of it <laughs> is determined by God, and all of it is carried out by God. And He was here at the beginning, and He will be here at the end and forever. Seconded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> Another mic drop moment there. <laughs> God's just epic. Yes. We can all agree on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If Epic is the, I mean, I don't think we can even describe it in human terms. Epic is about all we can say because there's, I don't know. I don't know if there's another word in our dictionary that can ultimately describe it. I don't think there Uh, would be. Yeah, I guess. In describing. way, as... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uncontainable <laughs> yes that... mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I'm thinking here the alpha and the omega that's the, yep. the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet um, so ultimately like it could also mean he contains every single yeah. word that you could possibly think of in yeah. existence Ooh. fun little thing about that so I recently read a short story for my speculative fiction class, and it's about the 900 billion names of God. <laughs> and it was by the, Dal- the Dalai Lama in this story. It buys, like, this supercomputer to, to, like, combine, like, all combinations of, like, their language for of, like, nine letters. Every single combination. And... And they found out like nine letters is going to be the name of God. And so they do every single combination and they print out all, all the names of God and then they paste them into books. And by the end of the story, you have these two guys and they figure out that like the monks believe that the world's just going to end once they print out all the names of God and they've discovered all the names of God, they, they know who he is and then he will have, he will, he can then come back and and finish what he created. And so the, these two computer workers who are like monitoring the computer and making sure it's working and everything um, are like, all right, well, they're going to be pissed once, you know, they print out these, these names and then God, and then the world doesn't end and God doesn't come back. And so they arranged for like, the their plane to take them away just as the last numbers were being printed and so they're riding to the plane on their horses and they look back and the stars are going out and so like mm. god is coming back because they they did discover all the names of god it's just kind of kind of interesting to think about mm. um of course it is speculative fiction. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's interesting. No, that's a, that's a yeah. neat thing to tie in there. Um, all right. So let's move to the word. Yes, sir. Ah, the word. That, word. That, is, that is the next name of God. Um, the best instance of this happening is in the Gospel of John, verse 1-1. Um, 
the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought a light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And that's just like, amazing. Like, that, it, that harkens back to Alpha and the Omega. I, I agree. Like, he was mm-hmm. there in the beginning. He's going to be there in the end. He, mm-hmm. And like his power is just through words, right? He, he need only speak for things to happen which is so crazy because like we see the importance of words in our life, but we need to have words compared with actions to really get anything done. Whereas God's word is the action that does the thing. Yeah. And, you know, I see, I see this also as, you know, you think when you hear God's word, I think of the Bible. Um, and it's kind of like if everything that we could ever need to know comes from God's word, comes from the Bible and Jesus is mm-hmm. the word then he is the one who encompasses everything that we see throughout the entire Bible. Um, And I think later in John one, I think it's in John one, he writes the word became flesh and took up residence among us, which very clearly points to Jesus as um, the one who came in human form to our world. Um, Mm -hmm. But another example, it's very similar to alpha and omega is everything we ever need to know is encapsulated in one man. (laughs) What? <laughs> mm-hmm. also just a great way to start the book of john i guess just <laughs> honestly no it's like a movie it's like a movie that just starts off like a super adrenaline packed like action yeah. sequence <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what i think of with the book of john yeah, it's first just, john starts very it's the ground running so that's a fun yeah. fact i kind of <laughs> I kind of think of it as the way Bionicle Mask of Light started. It's um, <laughs> a callback. Um, it's like, I don't know, the, the good and the evil being very plainly laid out in front of you. And it's like, here's your good. And it's, and man, is it good. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it is a great way to start the Book of John, especially because it's so different from the other gospels but like that's that's part of its charm i think and it and it's it being different allows it to explore jesus in a new way that the other three didn't which is really cool yeah most definitely moving along uh so the next yep, one we have is kind of a, a several, there's several of them that are all kind of the same thing. Um, so we see things like the seed of David, the son of David, the seed of Abraham, <laughs> the root of Jesse, root of David, the shoot of, the, of Jesse, I think is another one. Um, and they're all kind of pointing to the same thing, which is God's um, uh, Davidic covenant, where he promises King David, who is... You know, you look throughout the Bible, he had some major flaws, but in terms of where his heart was, he was probably the greatest king that Israel saw um, prior to, and we'll see, prior to Jesus. Um, and God promises David that an eternal king and that uh, will come from his line and that his throne will last forever. And that is true, as Jesus is, if you look at his genealogy, um, which you see in the Gospels, it's directly from David. Um, and this is just a note on the Messiah. It's um, kind of that fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy again, and uh, fulfillment of God's, uh, the, and the faithful fulfillment of God's promises is where this points to. Isaiah 11 says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. So there you go. Mm-hmm. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom, understanding of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it goes on and describes all of that, um, that point to Jesus ultimately setting up his eternal throne in that chapter of Isaiah. So, um, but it's very much connecting all the way back to David, Israel from the beginning to the end 
um, and is just, you know, God's faithfulness to the covenant he made with David. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once again, it all connects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I really do like the imagery of the root or the shoot and then the branch branch coming out from that. Um, it's like a family tree. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So next we have a couple uh, descriptors of Jesus. First is Jesus of Nazareth, um, which simply, I guess, is... Yeah, it is. And I looked it up a little more um, to get kind of a theological background to it. So it's more than just he's from this area. Um, And it is a a messianic (laughs) connection, I saw, um, in that it establishes Jesus is of Jewish origin. So that's the the bigger picture here. Um, <laughs> he was born in Bethlehem, was raised okay, mostly yeah. in Nazareth, a Jewish town in Galilee. Um, so, again, that it's fulfilling prophecy. It's fulfilling everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's importance yeah. in the fact that he came from Nazareth. Mm-hmm. All right, the next is simply Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, for this one, it's important to note, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Um, often, you know, Jesus Christ, is, people tend, I think, maybe think that's the case. Um, but Christ is actually the Greek word Christos, anointed one uh, in Hebrew, Messiah. Uh, this is what he is called. I mean, he's called the Christ, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So it's another messianic um, <laughs> picture of Jesus as the Savior. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And this coincides with the next one we have this out, which is Messiah, since Christos, as you mentioned in Hebrew, is the translation of Messiah. Uh, so John one forty one says, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And in even my Bible, it says in parentheses, uh, which is translated to be Christ. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, once again, Christ is, people didn't call Jesus uh, Jesus Christ in terms of Christ being his last name, like <laughs> Gromke is our last name. Uh, it is more like a title, and this title being the anointed one. What a cool title to have. Yeah, pretty neat. You don't hear anyone else called that. But also, like, <laughs> no, you don't. Like him being the anointed mm-hmm. one. He is the one who God has appointed to be the final, like, sacrifice. He is, he is the one who is going, who is anointed. He is the one who is going to stop sin or, well, pay for sin, I guess. Uh, he, is, he is chosen by God because he's the son of God. And that's amazing. Yep. All right. Uh, Would anyone like to? Yeah, I think this is just a really interesting one um, because, I mean, what other king do you see? I mean, ultimate king here referred to as a man of sorrows. Um, This is out of Isaiah 53. He was despised, uh, prophecy of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I mean, does that sound like a king to you? (laughs) Um, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And then Isaiah 53, 5, a common verse here, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. And, you know, it, it points to the fact that Jesus is not who people thought he was going to be when he came into this world um, Mm. and what his role was in taking the sin of the world and dying for it. It's not what you would normally see out of a King and you would not normally think of a person of that stature being described as a man of sorrows. Um, It's just a very different way that you see in any other 
place in any place in this world throughout history, um, any other religion, really, you don't see the central figure of anything. You don't see the central king described this way. And, you know, you think of Jesus mm-hmm. and you probably don't think of this side of him, but there is this very true side of him um, that points to the fact that he came to die for us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people can probably relate to Jesus through sorrow because a lot of there's a lot of suffering in this world, a lot of sorrow. And the man who came to save it experienced all the sorrow that you mm-hmm. could experience. Uh, being alone, being hated, being beaten. Um, he starved himself in the wilderness. He, he did a lot. He went through a lot. And it's through his, his pain and sacrifice that we are able to, to live forever with him. Mm-hmm. And you can have a personal yeah. relationship with that That's man. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also, then we're going to get to the lion and the lamb of God in a second. But um, the man of sorrow is also sort of sort of ties into that picture there. Like Jesus is a king in a way, but not the king you'd expect. One of the man of sorrows, a lamb, a sacrificial lamb that um, is so counter to any any sort of royalty or king that you have in this world and that what people were expecting of a savior um, before Jesus came and really showed what it meant to, to fulfill that eternal eternal king Mm -hmm. role yeah um the next one on our list uh, we probably don't need to go into it it's pretty again self-explanatory jesus is referred to as the savior of the world (laughs) um we saw that with (laughs) messiah christ i mean the savior he is our savior pretty straight and simple yep all right (laughs) next (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right so now we can get into the lamb of god all right yeah just the perfect sacrifice right? um, and it calls back to our hebrews episode where jesus went into the, the perfect temple in heaven and sacrificed was the sacrifice there and it's the sacrifice on earth yeah uh in john one twenty nine. Uh, John the Baptist at Christ's baptism said, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, So we have Jesus as our sacrificial lamb. And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament as well. People used to have to sacrifice lambs to be clean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Jesus is the ultimate, the final sacrificial lamb. You didn't have to sacrifice any lambs afterwards because jesus um yeah you just it was um trying to think of the term here it was i don't know, like you have to like with the lamb you have to renew that sacrifice after so long uh but with jesus it's right uh eternal i guess <laughs> yeah. um yeah Yeah, and I guess uh, we can go ahead and tie this real quick into the lion as well. Uh, it's a couple, couple slots down. Uh, but in Revelation, um, it also mentions the Lamb of God. Um, verses or chapter five, verse six says, "And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain." having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. Um, and then there's more references to the lamb later on. But it also, in that same chapter, references the lion. Uh, so verse 5 says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. So then again, we have a reference to the root of David, but we have the lion and the lamb here in the same passage. Um, and that speaks to Jesus's nuanced role of being both a lion and a lamb. You know, you hear those, especially in a lot of worship songs, you hear the lion and the lamb thrown out. Uh, and within, uh, 
like juxtaposed with one another and uh it's it's just a good picture like keeping those two together in the in the same sentences in the same phrases um so just referring to the line here john trapp who's a theologian from the 17th century so you know this goes far back here um he says that a lion is a, a fitting image of our Messiah, one, for the excellence of his strength, two, for his heroical spirit, three, for his principality, the lion is the king of beasts, four, for the vigilancy, the lion sleepeth with open eyes. Um, and then my Bible says, as the lion of Judah, he is coming as the conquering warrior and Messiah who will bring justice to the earth. Um, so those are just images of power and judgment and justice. Um, but you also have the Lamb of God tied in with that, which is a picture of, of sacrifice and humility. Um, and so through these juxtapositions, I think we gain greater depth of the complexity of Christ. Um, and I think we gain just more awe at the seemingly impossible or difficult qualities of Jesus. It must have been to fulfill both the role of lion and lamb, which is hard for humans to do. Um, and that, he can be both just and merciful, glorious and humble, worthy and willing to suffer, uh, and all-powerful but patient at the same time. Um, so I think when we, when we see Jesus as these and how difficult it was, it is for us to be both of those things at the same time in our lives. We can look to Jesus um, as a role model um, to, to be you know, both just and merciful, uh, when we have opportunities to be just, um, but to also do it with mercy. Um, when we are exalted or have uh, instances of, of glory in our lives, to do it with humility. Um, and also just be willing to suffer even uh, in times where we have strength. Um, to just look to Jesus as, as a role model for that, because ultimately he accomplished uh, the role of lion and the lamb. Um, and he did that to, to offer salvation and to die on the cross. That's, that was the end goal for him. And we can look up. Yeah. And I want to take it another level here. Um, we see him referred to the lion, but specifically the lion of the tribe of Judah points all the way back to Genesis. Um, you see it in Genesis, you see it in revelation. This is truly at the beginning of the Bible and at the end. And it is very much a prophecy grounded throughout the entire Bible. It goes through David, it goes through into the New Testament, into Jesus, into Revelation. Um, so back in Genesis, we have the sons of Jacob who make up the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons is Judah. And one of those tribes is Judah. Um, Judah is kind of, <laughs> I hesitate to say it, but I, I, I say it kind of the greatest of these tribes. Um, the greatest of these sons. And in Jacob's last words, he speaks to all of his sons and he tells Judah uh, in Genesis 49, I'll read eight through 12. Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Before you, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh isn't pointing to Jesus, that name there. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, and washed his garments in wine and the clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Um, so that is back in Genesis, connecting Jesus to the tribe of Judah, David comes from this tribe um, and comes from this part of Israel, <laughs> um, which really just shows beginning to end. When, he's, when in Revelation, we see Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what it's referring to. He's the ultimate king that will come from this tribe. Good word. Yeah. That's crazy. Goes all the way back from Genesis through Revelation. Um, yeah, and that just again connects in with the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, 
first book in the Bible, the last book in the Bible, and then just everything in between. You look at Yahweh, I am who I am. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, that's just, yeah, very cool, very fascinating. Thanks for yeah, that's uh, a cool, yeah, I mean, diving yeah, all the way back into that. Very definitely. fascinating. All right, we do have a couple more here. The Good Shepherd and the, I, I'll, the Bright I'll hit and the Morning Good Shepherd Star. real quick. I put it on here because I really like this uh, chapter of Scripture in John 10, um, where it points to Jesus as the Good Shepherd. It's what Jesus says um, here. Let me try to find the exact verse. So, yeah, John 10, 11, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd gives his life for um, And it goes on in that way, describing Jesus as the shepherd to the sheep. And if we are the sheep, then we are totally dependent on our shepherd. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> what better way to like describe us and our helplessness than calling us sheep? Yeah, Cause sheep <laughs> are very dependent. <laughs> I don't, I don't own sheep so or stupid. raise sheep, but uh, <laughs> that they are. <laughs> Entirely dependent on this. Just wander yeah. off, <laughs> and then they don't know how to get back. <laughs> and but Jesus is the one who will leave the ninety-nine sheep yeah. to save the one, and that is powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another great image of the good shepherd, right there. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the the bright and morning star. Um, this one's a little tricky because Satan and Jesus are both referred to as a morning star and a lion. Um, Satan's in first Peter five is referred to as a, a lion prowling, seeking to devour, um, which is a pale imitation of the lion of Judah, which is Christ. And Jesus is the bright and morning star, and Satan is just the morning star. It's it's Satan trying to be the son of God, but always falling short, um, being a, a false copy, uh, a pale imitation of who Christ is. Uh, and yeah, so it's it's just it just shows that Satan is fake, and Jesus is pure and perfect, and that somehow many people in this life see the fake Jesus of the world and Satan acting through the world and they they go to the fake instead of the bright, the ultimate source of light. They go to the ultimate source of dark. Um, But yeah, what do you guys have have to say on this? You know, I thought of, as you were saying, um, if Satan's the (laughs) bright and morning star, we can, be deceived into thinking maybe that morning star is in fact the bright and morning star. Um, when in reality it's Jesus, I think, you know, that's one interesting way to look at it. The morning star can be deceptive because mm-hmm. it is a star. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but you try to keep your eyes fixated on the bright, the brightest thing that there is um even though i mean it sort of sort of makes me think of um Mm. like peter walking on Mm. the water he takes his eyes off christ you know he stumbles falls down and uh can't walk on the water anymore he just falls down and starts sinking or swimming whatever happened after that um but when he keeps his eyes on christ the bright and morning star then yeah he can walk on water and do miraculous things through christ truth mm-hmm. yeah all right there's um so clearly there are many different names of god and christ both in the old and new testament and that connect throughout the bible um so there's yeah there are hundreds of them so obviously we're not going to get to them all but we um hope you guys learned something uh through looking at you know, several dozen of these. Um, so before we close I want out, to read you guys one any final um, piece of scripture from Isaiah 9, 
which is titled in my Bible, the government of the promised son. Um, so a prophecy here pointing to Jesus. Um, it talks about this promised son coming in Galilee of the Gentiles. And, um, but as in Isaiah nine, six is where I want to read here. Isaiah six, nine and seven, which says for unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So more names for Jesus there. Uh, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father. We see a lot more out there. Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Uh, there are tons of these names, um, but that's just one last portion of scripture that names a lot of them and points to all of his characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas, do you have anything else you would like to add? Um, I would like to say that just God and all of his names are so amazing because like we've seen that we've seen the power of the names, especially in the naming of people throughout the Bible and in many of the Bible stories. And God has given us so many names and each one of his names is that's who he is, right? He's fully Yahweh and he's fully Jehovah and he's fully Adonai and Elohim and El Shaddai and Jesus is fully King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Good Shepherd. He is the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. And it's just, there's so many names because Jesus and God are so many different things. And yet they almost have an infinite number of names because they're, they're infinite in and of themselves being the alpha and the omega it's just really good to kind of get to know him in each of these aspects that he is fully and to know that he is fully all of them and to the nth degree because he is all powerful it's just very awe-inspiring and i like that yeah i know when i'm now when when i read the bible and i hope this is true for you guys listening is that when I come across one of these names of God and Jesus that I'll write it down, think about it a little more, understand its purpose there, and then um, just mm. grow in my awe of it. Um, you know, this ties back to, to the beginning here of the Lord's Prayer and using God's name as hallowed or holy, just taking seriously when you read the Bible. Every time you come across a new name of God or Jesus, um, mm. just take it seriously to truly be in awe and reverence of it. Um, and that through that, that we may, that we may have more trust in him and more faithfulness, uh, in our own walk with, uh, on our own walk in the Christian life and just more dependence on God because he is sufficient and supplies everything that we need. Amen. <laughs> so I will go ahead and pray us out. <laughs> uh, Dear Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity again to record this podcast. Um, I pray that going forward, we just would continue to be more and more awe of you and all that you are. And that we have an opportunity to do that by just reading the Bible and learning more about your names and who you are. Um, so, yeah, God. Just thank you for all of that. Thank you so much for all that you are and all that you've done um, and all the promises and eternal Amen. hope and joy that you, you provide. Amen. Amen. I pray. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, if you guys made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, please like, subscribe, share, and uh, we would love if you guys would all direct messages on media. and questions <laughs> are appreciated. <laughs> yes, thank you for listening. 
Uh, we don't know how many people out there are listening, but we like them all the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. Well, we hope you guys have a great rest of your day and a great week going forward, and we look forward to all right. Uh, See you later. Talking Sounds to you good. you guys in the next one. Adios.